This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and as you heard last week, we're just starting our eighth year of Self Work. I'm so excited. I'm so pleased that all of you are here, and I could think of no better way to continue this eighth season than to feature your questions and comments. Whether you communicate through email or voicemail or through my website contact form, you are the lifeblood of self-work. Yes, it's true. I often use what my own clients either have gone through or are going through as my inspiration for these episodes. Yet hearing from you means so much. It's like turning up the lights in an auditorium so the person speaking can see the audience. It helps me see you. So thank you. Also, as an irritating note, the laptop that I've used for years died. Well, I have to be honest. I both inadvertently and stupidly drowned it on my way back home from vacation last month. I've never put a water bottle in with my computer, and why I did it that day, I really have no idea. But I lost a lot of stuff. I was so mad at myself, but I had to get over it and go on. Luckily, I had saved some on iCloud, but not everything. And a lot of that were my email messages, especially my SpeakPipe messages. So I'd love it if you'd use the SpeakPipe option in the show notes or on the website at drmargaretrutherford.com and leave me some new voicemails. And of course, you can email me with new questions. All of these voicemails are dealing with situations that have been ongoing for months, if not years. So... The listeners themselves don't say I'm depressed necessarily, but certainly when these kinds of relationship problems drag on and on, it is a setup for depression. So we're going to be talking about boundaries, the difficulties of setting them, maintaining them, and then when you get hurt by them. So how do you set boundaries when you're at your wit's end? Before we continue, let's hear from one of our fantastic sponsors, Magnesium Breakthrough. I've been hearing so much when I listen to other podcasts about the importance of sleep, and magnesium is vital for that, and I take it every night, and I can tell when I forgot. So let's listen in. hope you truly enjoyed some time with family and friends this summer and got to take a break from the daily grind and enjoy your life. Perhaps you've indulged a bit on ice cream to beat the heat or a margarita or two. Gosh, lots of indulgence may become the norm, but now kids are back in school and it's time to get back on track. If you struggle to return to your health routine, there are three major things to prioritize. Healthy eating, exercise, and above all, quality sleep. Because sleep is the key to your body's rejuvenation and repair process. It actually controls hunger and weight loss hormones, boosts energy levels, and it impacts countless other functions. That's why I take magnesium daily, but not any supplement. I got Magnesium Breakthrough because it's just better. It's made by by optimizers, and I highly recommend it. It has seven forms of magnesium designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. And guess what? If you get more sleep, you're going to find out that your healthy eating and exercise may be a little easier to do. So visit magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork. Don't forget to enter code selfwork10 for 10% off any order. Once again, it's magbreakthrough.com slash selfwork. 
So, let's dive in to these voicemails. Here's the first. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I am a 62-year-old, divorced, once separated now from my current husband, who is self-acknowledged to be an avoidant personality style or attachment style. He walked away from our marriage after only eight months, but prior to that, he definitely did stonewall me, and uh, he's unhappy as a committed person, but was completely all in before we got married. We had a beautiful wedding and said our wedding vows and had known each other for 10 years prior. Unfortunately, he'd done this many, many times in the past, but was absolutely sure he had fixed things and was ready to move on together as a couple and to be married. Now that we've been apart for over six months, I'm still interested in potentially bringing our relationship back together. I'm just not sure how to do it. We're both moving on with our lives, but still not divorced. And we seem to be moving on with our lives, doing similar things that show our compatibility and our ability to enjoy each other's company. I'm just not sure how to go about bringing the communication back This listener's question was so difficult for me to hear because I can hear her hope and her desire for this relationship to work that seems to her so compatible. And yet her partner of over 10 years, now her husband, separated but not divorced, will not truly commit. And again, as I said before, although she doesn't say she's depressed, of course she's feeling demoralized, down, and I'm sure struggling with some hopelessness and helplessness. But let's try to pin down where she may be struggling as well with some of the things she may not be looking at clearly due to her intense desire for this relationship to work. First, there's a huge difference in compatibility and commitment. One is showing up for each other in agreed upon times and spaces, laughing together, maybe enjoying the same activities no matter what they may be, even appreciating each other for what you bring to the table. However, Commitment is a totally different animal. You're committing to being there all the time. You're committed to some kind of intimacy, although that obviously can look very different in different relationships. It's not that you won't enjoy individual time or time away, but you commit to being there, to showing up. When you get sick, when they get sick, when you're really down, when they're really down, when you're up, when they're not up, when something unexpected happens and you're simply not yourself, or they lose their job, or their health status drastically changes, or you're stuck in the house with them when there's a pandemic. No one enjoys these times. You can get irritated or frustrated or sad or angry. You may not even feel compatible at all. And may complain, I still don't think you really get me, or I just want to be left alone right now. But if the relationship is fairly healthy, again, the person who's disappointed or needs to be left alone will approach again, saying, you know, I'll be back to talk to you about this because I love you and you're an important part of my life. So the commitment is, yes, of course you're going to be disappointed, but you also keep giving your partner a chance to be the partner that you're hoping they can be. And of course, you try to be the partner you can be. You don't leave when you're truly committed without saying you'll be back whether that's a walk around the block or a couple of days away. Again, what happens is you try, maybe you fail, but you keep trying. You come back and try again. 
Partners who have a healthy commitment aren't necessarily matched exactly evenly, but the commitment suggests that each one of them truly wants to be a good, consistent partner for the bad and the good times, as well as the times that what you need may not be what your partner is able to give. You weather that storm, learn from it, and try to be there the next time. Now, I have empathy, although I may not sound like it, for someone who has realized they have avoidant issues, and I know that that can be very hard to overcome. There's a reason why they avoid intimacy. But this listener says this pattern has been going on for 10 years, and she says she gets stonewalled, meaning he disappears or stays silent for hours or days or weeks. That's a sign of narcissism at its worst and using avoidance as an excuse to control the conflict, perhaps at its best. And its use is one of the sturdiest predictors of divorce. And of course, as those years have gone by, they're both getting older, which can make it harder to imagine being alone. She says he thought he'd fixed it and participated in a lovely wedding. I'm good with that. Maybe he thought he had, but now he realizes he was wrong. But for both of them, where are the boundaries? Where's the end point? Where's the point at which his caring for her says, you deserve someone who will show up for you, commit to you, and I just can't do that. So I'm going to end this. Or a boundary for her. I can't keep hoping that things are going to be different. I'm getting off this roller coaster of hoping and losing hope, hoping and losing hope. You can get addicted to that roller coaster, by the way. That's called a trauma bond. And this listener might want to search my website for podcasts on those subjects. So what's my advice? If you want a companion, someone that will be at your side to do things you both enjoy, there's nothing wrong with that. Many people don't really share much intimacy, but very much enjoy the relationship they've created with one another. In fact, some people would much prefer that to a commitment. Yet this man, who you obviously truly care about, has shown you time and again that although he might want to do the work he needs to do, he can't follow through and stay in a commitment to you, to be there no matter what the mood he's in or if he'd rather avoid the conflict. That's not necessarily his fault, nor does it make him a bad person in my book. But he's wanting to promise something he doesn't seem to be able to give. And that can become manipulative. I'd work with a therapist in your area about this. Maybe there's something in your past that's making the potential ending of this relationship extremely hard for you. Maybe even feel intolerable. There may be other reasons that you didn't bring up. But when you say, I want to bring the communication back, I don't hear a lot of good communication that's going on. Not at least that will lead to the kind of commitment you want and deserve. And thank you for reaching out. There are plenty of people in your shoes, so I really appreciate it. Next, let's hear from a woman whose husband seems constantly angry and so impossible to approach with, as she says, even the simplest of things. And again, she doesn't say, I'm depressed, but this kind of ongoing battle, ongoing confusion and demoralization, like, what has happened? Where did this fall apart? That's bound to be there. There's a diagnosis for this kind of situation, by the way. It's called adjustment disorder, meaning there's a situation in your life that you're struggling to adjust to. It's kind of simple. I use this a lot because so much of what we struggle with is about what life hands us and lies in our relationships with one another. Here's her story. How do I help my marriage and help the bickering to stop when, and I know this is going to sound like, I'm blaming him and not owning up to any of the problems myself, but he is angry with the world, not just me. 
He yells and screams about everything. He lost his keys. He's yelling. He can't get into the driveway because a car is blocking him. He's yelling. Every tiny thing he's yelling about. So I can't even have a simple conversation with him because he is yelling all the time. The negativity affects me and I can't even bring up a simple concern that I have about our marriage or the way we communicate because then he's yelling and saying that I'm blaming him and I won't own up to any of our problems. So I don't know where to go from here. Please help. Let's again try to look at what this listener is seeing clearly and what she may not be. She certainly sounds miserable and actually so does he. And yet, from her perspective, his anger is keeping him in control of the situation. I can't say anything without him getting angry. Anger is one of those emotions that can act as a reservoir for all the feelings someone truly has. That may be all he knows to express, although there are lots of feelings contained in that reservoir. Let me explain. Think of when rain hits the top of a mountain. It begins flowing down the mountain and gradually the individual drops of water bond into tiny rivulets. They begin to create tunnels in the dirt where more and more water can gather as it tumbles down the hill. Then gradually those tunnels form into streams and streams into lakes and lakes into waterfalls. So here's the analogy. Each of our feelings, hurt, disappointment, irritation, joy, distrust, pride, determination, all of those are those little drops of water that fall on the top of the mountain. And we all have specific rivulets that we've learned are safe for us to feel rather than feeling each one of those feelings. So by the time those feelings hit the stream or the lake or the waterfall, all they come out as is anger because that's the feeling we've learned to hide behind or that we can handle or that we feel gives us control. We all do this. Some people say everything makes them sad. Some people are always happy, never get disgruntled or out of sorts. <laughs> that's hard to believe. But let's get back to this couple. He blames her for not taking responsibility. She blames him for only presenting her with anger. So, here's my thought. It sounds like they may both be stuck. And if they begin to talk about it in that way, their conversation might actually go somewhere. Now, what do I mean? The listener may be stuck in victim mode, as if she has no other choice to stay silent. And he's likely stuck in a very defensive place. He's gaining control, all right, but it's with anger. On one plane, she does look like the victim, and he's the perpetrator, right? But that's where they're stuck. Now, why do I say this? Many of you may be going, Margaret, nobody wants to talk to somebody who's screaming at them all the time, and I agree with you. But feasibly, she might say something like, I don't care if you get angry. I care about you, and I care about a relationship, and I'm going to keep trying to talk with you. This advice shouldn't be followed if there's abuse or any kind of sexual or physical violence. But she's telling herself that his anger stops the conversation. Yes, I totally agree that it makes it really, really difficult. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Or he's also stuck. He could say, I know I get angry. I've done it all my life. I can see where it would scare you, and I'm sorry. Instead, he says, you're not taking responsibility for your shit. It's not all my fault, which keeps them both stuck. It's a very hard dynamic to wrestle with. Neither of them feel understood. Blame is being passed out like candy. Now again, she doesn't mention physical violence, but if that's present, then the rest of this advice is moot. 
because she first needs to get in a place where she's physically safe as well as whatever children are involved are safe. She can legitimately count the times he's gotten angry, and he can count the times she's just walked away. Anger can be very frightening, and maybe it is for her because of past abuse. That's another story as well, and she may be fighting triggers that don't belong with him, but his actions are definitely triggering her. So, she reverts to silence. If that's the case, then she needs to try to learn what those triggers are. Now, I have to admit, I didn't know how to be angry at all when I first married, and my anger was all over the place when it emerged. I even have a memory of standing in my den, raging at my then-husband. I mean raging. And he was also yelling back at me. But inside, I was kind of astonished at my behavior. This wasn't like me at all. I usually backed down or stayed silent. But I guess I'd had it. Now, I sadly didn't figure that out in that marriage, so that's part of my responsibility for it ending. You know, have you ever looked at your own behavior and go, why am I acting like this? This is weird. Even when I became a therapist at age 38, when clients began yelling at each other, I could sense my discomfort. I had to work on my own assertiveness, which I did. So anger was hard for me. It's easier for some people. So do I know what advice to give? She's the one asking this question. So I'd assume this listener is the one who's more open to some ideas and maybe open to seeing that she's allowing herself to be controlled by his anger. As long as he's not violent or dangerous, she needs to perhaps think about how to stay calm in the face of his anger. Not silent, just calm. She can tell him she misses their old banter, the easy way they had of talking. She can decide not to escalate along with him to get hurt by his anger, but instead to just kind of expect it and then step to the side so it doesn't hurt her. She can try to see the tremendous insecurity that's likely underneath that anger and try to see if she can reach him. Now, she may not be able to. He may not allow it. If she can't and if he won't budge, then that'll be tough. Maybe she needs to leave for a while. I don't know. Again, I just know bits and pieces of this situation, so I would never say, oh, yeah, you got to get out of there. That's just too flippant. But even if things seem hopeless, there's usually another thing to try. I kept giving suggestions to one of my patients recently who finally admitted to me, for example, that she uses pot regularly. In fact, every night. And that was keeping her silent in a situation where she'd just get high and not think about it anymore. So you never know what's going on behind the scenes that's keeping someone stuck. And of course, if some of this listener's silence has to do with being triggered by past abuse, as I said before, then getting help for herself is vital so she can gain more control over her responses to him. It's a really tough situation, so good luck to you. Before we hear from our third listener's voicemail, here's an offer from BetterHelp. Any of these folks could be talking to a therapist in as little as 24 hours with BetterHelp. I recently heard a fascinating reframe for the idea of asking for help. Maybe you view asking for help as something someone does who's falling apart or who isn't strong. So consider this. What if asking for help means that you won't let anything get in your way of solving an issue, finding out an answer, or discovering a better direction? Asking for help is much more about your determination to recognize what needs your attention or what is getting in your way of having the life you want. Better help. 
the number one online therapy provider, makes reaching out about as easy as it can get. Within 48 hours, you'll have a professional licensed therapist with whom you can text, email, or talk with to guide you. And you're not having to comb through therapist websites or drive to appointments. It's convenient, inexpensive, and readily available. Now you can find a therapist that fits your needs with BetterHelp. And if you use the code or link betterhelp.com slash selfwork, you'll get 10% off your first month of sessions. So just do it. You'll be glad you did. That link again is betterhelp.com slash selfwork to get 10% off your first month of services. So here's our third story, and it's one about others setting boundaries, but very unclear ones being set to where it feels more like abandonment. This listener is obviously very confused and lost about why her friends of many years are leaving their friendship with her. And she's quite right that I wrote about this very thing happening to me. From my perspective, my best friend at the time ended our relationship. But within the last couple of years, that friend and I talked again after she suffered a tremendous and unimaginable personal loss. And what I discovered was that her memory and mine of the time we stopped being friends, they were very different. So we decided the love was very much still there. The why of what had happened wasn't all that important. What was important was relishing being in each other's lives once again. But that took 25 years. Hi, Dr. Margaret. Um, I just wanted to say I sent you an email this morning. I've listened to a couple of your podcasts about you had a friend years ago who decided to leave you and um, and the pain and grief that it caused you. And I've just recently going through the same thing. I've got just seems to be the year that I'm just losing friends, losing friendships that have been 20, 30 year long friendships. And then all of a sudden people are just backing away and I just don't hear from people I've quit alcohol a couple of years ago, so I wonder if that's a factor. Um, I discovered I was celiac, so that was also a factor. I'm not sure. I stopped getting invited to birthdays and Christmases because people didn't know how to cater for me, not realising that I don't care about I'll bring my own food. <laughs> um, and more recently, I've had friends um, yeah, say some pretty horrible things about my husband and, and told me they don't want to hang out with us as families anymore and really hurtful. So I just don't really know how to let I'm trying to learn to let go and uh, move on and I want to be positive and and let it go so I'd really love some advice um hopefully you can understand my accent I'm from New Zealand this listener is guessing as I did for many years what's the reason for what she's perceiving and experiencing as abandonment it could be her stopping alcohol One of the hardest things about that decision is that usually you have to make new friends who are also sober because it can be too hard, especially at first, to be around people who are drinking. But the discomfort can go both ways. If you drink, a lot of your friends are probably drinkers, especially if you drink a lot. We all seek validation from others. So others who may drink too much can feel uncomfortable around this listener, not because she says a word, but simply because she's choosing a different path. Again, remember, we seek to be around people who are making the same choice as we are. The celiac is another difference that people may be uncomfortable handling, although if you don't have an issue with it, then that may seem strange. But it may seem to change the social atmosphere. Not everyone, again, is doing the same thing. Perhaps some of us struggle more than others to get out of that adolescent stage of wanting everyone to wear the same thing, eat the same thing. 
Maybe she's lost weight due to it. I'm not sure. She doesn't sound as if she's adopted a woe-is-me attitude, or at least she didn't verbalize it in her message. She seems to have said, well, this is what I need to do for me. I'll take care of myself. I'll bring my own food. But other people seem uncomfortable with it. I remember going to dinner with a friend and her husband. This was years ago. I knew she was anorexic, although she didn't talk about it much. We were invited as well as other friends, so there were eight or ten of us at the table. All that night, people kept pointing out about how little she was eating. I wanted to tell them, you know, that doesn't help. But for once, perhaps I kept my mouth shut. But I just felt sorry for her. It was not that she was being ostracized, but it was as if people couldn't tolerate the fact that she was eating very little. When perhaps they were eating more normally or even a lot. Again, we can be very sensitive to when people are making different choices than we are. The last situation she describes seems different. Her friends are saying something about her husband. I have no idea what that could be. I do know that members of families and friends who differ politically, religiously, or morally are ending their relationships with one another more recently. Differences in opinion aren't tolerated. Trying to understand someone else's point of view just isn't happening as much. We're watching our leaders do it, quote unquote, and many are copying that behavior. I'm going to tell you another story because this episode's full of stories. I remember years ago when having an affair, especially if it became public, was reason to be socially outcast, at least in our small southern town. But a very popular and beloved doctor fell in love with his nurse and they had an affair. He and his wife divorced. She was also very loved, and people were picking sides. You could support one or the other, but certainly not both, and certainly not the nurse. The problem was, she was actually very nice as well, and the old scarlet letter thing was ridiculous. Now, why am I bringing all this in? Because my mom and dad, after a couple of years of this choosing sides, kept occurring. My parents invited both the doctor and his new wife and the ex-wife to their home for a party or to our home. There was quite a stir, as I recall. I was so proud of my parents, even back when I was a kid. They were modeling tolerance and love and understanding. And the reality that no one knows the whole story. You can have your judgments, that's your right. But they tired of the need to pick. So they talked to both the doc and his ex and let them know, hey, y'all are both invited. And guess what? Both decided to come. In a way, my folks helped them mediate and realize they could move on. Of course, I remember the story through a child's eyes, but I also remember my folks talking about their decision and feeling it was right and time. I was so proud of them. I would advise this listener to talk to one of those friends that has supposedly abandoned her, someone she really trusts. Ask her without being defensive what's going on and tell her about her confusion and hurt. Maybe she'd get an answer, maybe not but it's worth a try. This certainly sounds like it's been a very difficult journey for her, and I offer her self-work support. Thank you all for being here today. What an exciting journey we're on together to go into this eighth anniversary. I've got some things that I'm looking into that are going to be very new and very different for self-work. How about some live streaming on YouTube? Does that sound fun? I had some comments on my TEDx, which, by the way, has reached almost 220,000 views if you want to go watch. 
saying, it's nice to see you finally. I hear, I've been listening to your podcast for years, but I didn't really know what you looked like. <laughs> so that's really nice. I look forward to hearing from you again, either by speak pipe, voicemail, or leaving me an email at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com and come subscribe at my website. We've got a new ebook we're working on that we're going to be offering to people who subscribe. I'll let you know when that's going to happen. And of course, if you'd like to join my Facebook group, that's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. I appear there pretty regularly and give my feedback. And there's a lot of wisdom in that group. So again, my gratitude to you for being here. Please take care of yourself, your family, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work. <laughs>